Hey there, we are live. Welcome to Football Outsiders Live, streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. My God, we are everywhere now. Also available after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. You'll want to check that out on your favorite podcast service. Please subscribe to our show, whether it's subscribing to our YouTube or to podcasts, no matter what it is. We would love for you to subscribe to our show. Remember, we are here at 1 p.m. Eastern, all five days of the week. Well, of the weekdays, you know, not the weekends, you know, not during games on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, we are here, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Ian O'Connor is my usual Monday guest. He is not here today because he got married this weekend. Congratulations to Ian. And uh, we have as our guest instead, Cale Clinton from Football Outsiders. You know him from the Week in Quotes and from Any Given Sunday. Hello, Cale. How are we doing, Aaron? I hope that Week 5 treated you as well as it treated me. I did very well in fantasy this week. Me as well. I capitalize a lot on that uh, that high-scoring Chiefs – or uh, sorry, that uh, high-scoring Chargers-Browns game. Oh, yeah? Do you have Herbert or do you have Mayfield? I've I've got two teams where one team is Herbert and Keenan, the other team is Austin Eckler and Mike Williams. So that little Browns push in right at the end pushed me over the edge. That's awesome. See, it's nice that the Cleveland Browns were nice enough to help you win your fantasy game. Uh, we're going to talk about the Chargers and the Browns later in the show, absolutely. But we want to start with the biggest game of the weekend, which was the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. Last night, going really late. Did you make it till the end? I did make it till the end. I held out. I held out. Honestly, for a matchup like that, I think it was. It had to be worth it. Uh, I, uh, I I almost took a nap during the lightning delay, but I never knew when the lightning delay was going to end, so I didn't know when to set my alarm for to wake back up. But uh, <laughs> the game itself actually turned into a bit of a snoozer at the end because the Bills were so incredibly dominant and. Um, it's interesting because in the past, when the Chiefs have played top defenses, normally their offense has overwhelmed the top defense that they've played against. Not in this game. The defense of the Bills, which was number one in DVOA going into the game, dominated the offense of the Chiefs, which was also number one in DVOA going into the game. And, and, and by the way, is still number one after the game. I mean, because the Chiefs' offense was so good in the first four games, they're still number one for the year. They've played a very hard schedule of opposing defenses so far this year. And so their offense is still really good. It's just their defense is so incredibly bad. It is the seventh worst defense we've ever tracked through five weeks. So I think in the question of is Josh Allen that good or is the Chiefs defense that bad, I think it's sort of 50-50. Allen had his best game of the year, but my God, the Chiefs defense, Daniel Sorensen is constantly out of position. Um, I asked people online what they thought was wrong with the Chiefs defense. They're not bringing as much pressure as years past, which is meaning creating more pressure on the linebackers. And the linebackers was always the weakness of the Chiefs defense. And then certain players like Sorensen have declined. And then no Chris Jones yesterday. Yeah, no, that's definitely been a problem. And I think you're right. It is a bit 50-50. I was really impressed with the Bills' offense just in terms of how consistently they were able to move the ball. It really didn't look like there was a ton of stoppage. Uh, really, you know, 
not much, not much resistance from that Chiefs D. But at the same time, you know, Dawson Knox had that 53-yard TD. Manuel Sanders had a 35-yard touchdown. Stephon Diggs had that 61-yard catch where it looked like he stopped up to kind of taunt. Like he forgot that there were defenders. Like he was like, well, I'm past all the defenders. Now I can go in. And then it turned out he wasn't past all the defenders. Yeah, and they end up not scoring a touchdown on that play. But, I mean, three massive gains for that Bills defense in just what looked like complete lapses in coverage. That that Dawson Knox touchdown especially. Sorensen kind of held on for five, six seconds, which, you know – for a safety feels like the appropriate amount of time to hold on as long as you can before you start to look back toward the uh, line of scrimmage and toward the actual play. But yeah, it, it just, Buffalo was really able to capitalize on some busted coverage there. Yeah. There was also a lot of sloppy play by Kansas city. Um, the interceptions were just, I mean, like right off Tyree kills hands. That's a rare interception. Uh, tipped in the air by a defensive lineman. I mean, I know Lucas Nang, the right tackle, had problems all game uh, with whoever he was blocking, Gregory Rousseau on that play. But that seemed a little fluky to me. I guess I am a lot more sanguine about the Chiefs than I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people are coming away from this game like, you know, the Chiefs are just not a good team. And I think that the better takeaway from this game is the Bills are a really good, really well-rounded team. And I would worry less about the Chiefs going forward than other people seem to be worried because offensively, they're still strong and offense is more predictive and more consistent than defense. I I can't imagine the defense is going to be this bad for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, they've played a really, really tough slate of offenses, especially between Cleveland, Baltimore, L.A., Buffalo. Like, it's been a really, really tough schedule for the Chiefs going forward. I I, I still get a little bit concerned because even the Eagles were able to hang 30 on them. But In the past, you mean it's been a tough schedule. They have the number one schedule so far by DVOA, number 21 going forward. It gets much yeah. easier from here. No, what they've played so far, definitely. But, I mean, also credit to Buffalo. It's an incredibly deep roster. NBC kept flashing the stat or the uh, snap counts for all the defensive players they were able to rotate in. And, again, really, you know, hats off to the Bills secondary just because it is it is a very rare occasion that Miko Hardman is going to be leading the team in receiving yards and receptions. Uh, holding Tyree Kill 7-13 from 63, longest of 17, holding Kelsey to 6 of 10, 57 yards and a touchdown, longest of 15. It was a pretty impressive performance. I understand, you know, Mahomes just looked off a little bit this year, and I think especially last night he was – He was underthrowing. He was underthrowing things. He was kind of bouncing the ball a little bit. Yeah, but, I mean, just Buffalo's ability to create pressure with just rushing four, being able to drop a bunch of guys back, it felt like Mahomes either had – to roll out of the pocket or had a hand in his face every time he was throwing the ball. And he's one of those few quarterbacks that really, no matter what is going to try and extend the play and make that throw. Cause he has that athletic ability. And in the past, the chiefs have had a pretty uh, high level of turnover worthy plays and throwing into dangerous situations. And they've lucked out. They haven't had this many turnovers in a season in forever. So it's, you know, now it's starting to shake the other way. Yeah, well, I think that's going to regress a little bit to the mean, too. I mean, he's got, what, six picks so far through five games? He's not going to throw 20 picks this season. No, that's just not in his wheelhouse, I don't think, of possible outcomes. Um, 
Clyde Edwards Hilaire got injured and might be out for the year. And a lot of people are seeing that as another reason for the Chiefs to worry. I don't think it's a reason to worry at all. I don't think there's really any difference between Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Darrell Williams. And I think they're fine. I'd almost argue it's a bit of an improvement, not to not Clyde Edwards Clyde Edwards Hilaire too much. But if you're looking at Ben Baldwin's EPA per play numbers from the game log last night. Edward Jalair had a minus 0.32 EPA per play on seven rushing attempts. Daryl Williams had a minus 0.03 through five plays. It was every time they handed the ball off to Clyde Edward Jalair, it felt like it was just a blown up play. And I think you're at least going to get a little bit of regression back to norm, at least just baseline levels with Daryl Williams and having Jarek McKinnon as the backup running back there. Uh, no significant impactful plays or coaching decisions from this game. If, if people have not seen the Monday show in the past, we'll go through uh, impactful plays and impactful coaching decisions from this weekend. And there are not, this game was just too much of a blowout. And I'm also going to point out, I mentioned that the Chiefs schedule gets easier, but the Bills schedule is so easy the rest of the way. That is why in our playoff odds right now, they win the number one seed in the AFC 57% of the time. Uh, their remaining average DVOA of opponent is minus 14%. No other team is below minus 10. In fact, for the whole season, if you look at the average DVOA of their opponents, it would be the third easiest schedule we have ever tracked behind only the 99 Rams and the 91 Bills. They've got a, uh, I mean, their slate coming up. They've got Tennessee next week, which, you know, depending on what Tennessee team we get, that could that could pose a bit of a challenge, but I don't think it's too much. And then they go on a, after the bye week in week seven, they go on a three-week streak of hosting Miami at Jacksonville at the Jets. Like, it's it's looking pretty cakey. They've got to play the Jets two more times. They close their season with the Jets. They've got to play New England two more times. It's it's looking like the Bills, you know, are starting to run away with the AFC a little bit, considering their schedule going forward, definitely. They face yeah. some, you know, I, I think the Chiefs was probably their biggest test and winning at Arrowhead, especially that in, you know, in the weather conditions and everything in such a decisive victory. People might, you know, overreact a little bit, but this – if this Bills offense can, you know, continue to operate where, you know, just above average, right at average, I think coming into this game, there was 17th, exactly a 0.0% DVOA, like league average, especially. Yeah. With the, now they're at 6.2%, which is 11th got on it. offense. And that, and that defense, especially too, this should be a, uh, listen, it's Bills to lose right now. Yeah, it is the Bills to lose right now because they I think they win the Super Bowl in 25% of our simulations this year because they're so strong right now and because their schedule is so easy, giving them such a strong shot at the number one seed. Uh, Ryan Crinigan says, we may have missed this. Why did the Chiefs respond to too high coverage by going so short in the short game? So many four to five yard stick routes and RPOs to the outside. Yeah, I'd have to rewatch the game on all 22, which of course is difficult to do now. Uh, you can see the all 22 on game pass, but it's complicated trying to figure out where it is. But I guess I would be surprised that they didn't do more of trying to go like to corner routes, the whole, you know, the deep hole in the cover two. But I mean, you know, this is what 
teams are doing against the Chiefs is they're making them throw short. And the thing is that Mahomes was bouncing some of those passes or they were going off guys' hands. And um, and I think that's just the defense that they're playing. And the thing is that the Chiefs normally have such a strong success rate, even on short stuff, that that you can't stop them that way. But this game, Mahomes was just a bit off and the receivers dropped passes. And so they didn't have the strong success rate on the short stuff. Yeah, and, and the pouring rain especially is going to play a factor. It's it's really uncharacteristic to have a ball bounce off Tyreek uh, Hill's hands and into the arms of another defenseman. But it was I, – I don't know. There, there were just moments where Mahomes was skipping the balls off the turf, missing guys. It, it really felt uncharacteristic for just what we've seen out of Mahomes in the last yeah. – couple years i think people will overreact to this game because it was on national tv that is not how mahomes has played in the first four weeks of the season no like that was like without opponent adjustments that may have been the worst game mahomes has played in the nfl but it's not like he played that way in weeks one through four i think we can say it's possible that that was a little fluky combined with the rain combined with the the quality of the bills defense I don't think that the Chiefs are going to have a terrible, you know, or even an average offense the rest of the way. I think they're the best offense in the NFL, and they're going to continue to be the best offense in the NFL, even if you take away the deep stuff from them. And the defense, as bad as it is, defense is less consistent than offense. It's probably going to be better the rest of the way. The problem is they're two games behind the Chargers, and they don't have the tiebreaker, so they're probably a wild card which means they have to win three games on the road to get to the Super Bowl, although road and um, road and home barely seem to matter anymore. I think it's the winning three games that matters more than the home and road at this point. Yeah, they've also they've never been in this situation before. They've never had to play in a wild card game, and they've also never had to play on the road in the playoffs beyond. Not with Mahomes at quarterback. They haven't had no, to yeah, in the Mahomes era. Um, two questions right here about whether Brady topped Peyton Manning for the all-time regular season DYAR mark this week. Yes. Tom Brady took over the all-time regular season passing DYAR mark this week. Vince is writing all about it for Quick Reads tomorrow. So that is the subject of tomorrow's Quick Reads. And yes, Brady, Brady is now, he had the best game of the year. He's now number one for the year in passing DYAR, which essentially makes him the MVP favorite, I guess, at, by our numbers. And he now has the all-time lead in regular season passing DYAR. So a uh, big week for Tom Brady, who apparently is injured, and they're going to have to manage his thumb injury, whatever that means. But I'm sure he's... He was fine with it in the second half of this game this week, so I'm sure he's going to find, be fine with it going forward. Yeah, I think they. I think I saw a post from someone that it looks like he's going to be fine. He's going to be able to play this Thursday, and they're just you know monitoring it. But I mean, it's it's still mind boggling how Brady's able to impress at such an age. I can't believe that this is his that this past Sunday was his first ever. 400-yard, five-touchdown game coming in at 44 years old. It yeah, it keeps it, – every time you think it's, you know, it's going to regress – not regress, but it's going to at least slow down. He's got to him. hit age at some point. It's <laughs> happened to everybody else. Like, 
it, it may not happen till he's 50, but at some point, it has to happen. Listen, Father Tom is undefeated, but he is on the ropes right now. It is not looking great. Yeah. He he's undefeated, but he may have to take this one to like 40 rounds. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, given the Brady's attitude, my theory is Brady will not stop until Father Time shows up. I think the decline is going to happen before Brady retires because he's never going to quit. I just don't know. It might be for five more years. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, I don't know. It, I don't think, I think Brady's going to, you know, have to get dragged off the field and it, it'll have to look really bad. Like, you know, a Peyton level last season where he's really, you know, unable to throw the ball or, you know, kind of what Ben Roethlisberger is looking like right now. But it I is, think I'm more, I'm more, I'm more, more expect a Marino or Breeze type last season where he's average. Than I would a Peyton last season where he's hideous. Yeah, no, that is fair. I don't think he'd let his image get tarnished like that. But the, yeah, he's he's gonna go as long as his legs will hold him up there. Uh, let's talk about the weirdest game of the afternoon, and that is Packers versus Bengals. So we're gonna talk here about game states and probabilities because it's nuts. Okay, the Bengals tied it at 22 in the fourth. At that point, Green Bay missed a field goal. Then Cincinnati missed a field goal, which was fourth and two on the Green Bay 39. It ends up the third worst play call of the weekend. 6.2% win probability loss. They should have gone for it on fourth and two from the Green Bay 39. Then you get to the end of regulation with Green Bay. Second and 10 on the Cincinnati 33 with one second left. Mason Crosby's field goal attempt, no good. Win probability lost 39%, making that the fourth most impactful play of the weekend. Then you get to overtime. Okay, Bengals throw an interception with 9.55 left in overtime. Gives the Packers a chance to win the game. Win probability lost 51%, second most impactful play of the weekend. The Packers miss a field goal again. Uh, 8.15 left, 54% win probability loss, the most impactful play of the weekend. Then the Bengals missed a field goal again. And I don't know why my notes don't have the win probability loss for that one, but it was probably a lot. Then the Packers get the ball back and finally make one. So for the game, Mason Crosby was 4 for 7 on field goals, and Evan McPherson was 0 for 2. And we have a little graphic on the screen showing what the drive chart looked like. <laughs> it was cra crazy. Uh, I was convinced it was going to end in a tie. It did not. Um, yeah. Well, what do you think? It, it felt destined to win the tie. I mean, the win probability model by the end of the game looked like an EKG model. Like, it just was up, down, up, down, up, down, crossing that 50% margin. But, I mean... This field, that felt like a game in years past that, you know, it's all right. Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay is going to pull this one out. It, it had it written all over. Mason Crosby continuing to miss field goals. I'm shocked that Green Bay sent him out one last time to make that game winner. I mean, good for him for having the fortitude to kind of stick with it and not get in his own head. But I'm honestly more impressed by the Bengals at this point. I, I'm, I still am laughing at the Evan McPherson – 
celebrating when he missed that second overtime field goal. Yeah, he thought it had gone through and he missed it and he was celebrating. It was a little crazy. flicked the flag on the leftmost post of the field goal. If you look in the background of that replay, it has a tight shot of him celebrating with his long snapper. And as he starts to notice, the Packers players are already celebrating in the background. But, I mean, yeah, credit to the Bengals. Like, they're a they're a catastrophic missed field goal fiasco away from being 4-1 and one up there with the Bills and Chargers top the AFC East. This is – in a team that, you know, is supposed to be in the midst of a rebuild, starting to work things out, they're really stringing some impressive wins together. And it's, you know – the decision to draft uh, Jamar Chase over rebuilding this offense. It is looking good. Jamar Chase has been amazing. It's been really impressive. Um, I will say in this game, Green Bay did end up with the higher DVOA, 1.5% compared to minus 25.5 for Cincinnati. But on the season, Cincinnati is higher. Cincinnati is 12th and Green Bay is 15th, uh, owing in large part to that first week against the Saints where they were so horrible. Both of these teams are about to see their schedule get a lot harder. Cincinnati's schedule goes from 29th to 13th. Green Bay goes from 15th to 2nd, the second hardest remaining schedule. The hardest remaining schedule belongs to the Washington football team. Uh, and Useful Baker says, don't the Bengals get a tie like every season? I know they had one last season against the Eagles, Yes, that's another reason why I thought this was going to end up in a tie is that it does seem to happen to Cincinnati more than other teams, uh, but it didn't. Uh, Let's talk about the most impactful plays of the week. These are the plays that had the most impact on the game in terms of win probability, either positive or negative. And guess what? Almost this entire list is Cincinnati and Green Bay. Uh, number five from the Lions Vikings game. Oh, poor Lions! When the I feel Vikings for Dan Campbell game winning, uh, game winning field goal, we give that a win probability gain of thirty eight point four percent. And the Lions are the first team in NFL history to lose two games in a season on field goals of fifty or more yards at the buzzer, and it's happened to them twice in three weeks. I mean, it's very uncharacteristic of the Minnesota Vikings to win on a long field goal. Yes. But, uh, I mean, quit, like, again, I, I'm not going to keep giving too much credit to losing teams, but I, I that, that Dan Campbell press conference at the end of the game really, you know, tugged the heartstrings. This is a guy that really cares about this team, really wants to – I mean, them going for two to win the game and, like, definitively try and fight for this one, I was really impressed with that decision uh, just actually – making the two-point conversion, fighting to go for it instead of playing for the overtime, playing for the tie. This is I, – I hope that Detroit is able to build some kind of team around Dan Campbell because he is a guy that is going to – unlike Matt Patricia trying to emulate tough guy, hardo, Bill Belichick, Patriots motto uh, without the actual credibility to back it up, Dan Campbell is getting guys to bind to a system and overperform. Because I don't think he's a hardo. I think he's a hardo when it comes to how you treat the other team. He's like, we're going to go break their kneecaps. But I don't think it doesn't I, sound no, like I was either. I was calling Matt Patricia like the hard guy running sprints. Oh, and, yeah. Mike, no. Matt, Matt Patricia was a jerk to his players. Yeah. yeah. No, I think Dan Campbell is a really genuine guy that's actually getting 
Detroit players to actually buy into the system and really fight hard. I think it's yeah. really been impressive so far. I'm not calling Dan Campbell a hardo at all. No, yeah. he's. He, I feel like he's gotten the buy-in. And Ryan Cranigan says, speaking of the Lions, do their series of close losses have any predictive value? I'm curious if really bad teams have to get to close losses before they get to close wins or if it's not quite that linear. And I, I would say it's not quite that linear, but – you know, any advanced metric you use, whether it's just looking at points scored and allowed or an EPA metric or or DVOA, uh, close losses will come out better than big losses and they'll come out closer to wins. And a lot of times close losses and close wins are very similar in DVOA. Um, Detroit, I will say for this game, had a positive DVOA. Both teams had a positive DVOA for this game. So, I mean, Detroit is 27th right now at 0-5. I mean, that's reasonably good for an 0-5 team. It's not like any 0-5 team is going to be good. But, I mean, I think these close losses absolutely suggest that Detroit is better than an 0-5 team that gets spanked all the time like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Here's what I'm going to say, though, because you talked about the two-point conversion decision, and that's going to come up, so I'm going to, like, get to it early when we talk about bad decisions, based on win probability, the two-point conversion was actually a bad decision. Like, I understand that based on showing your team that you have confidence in them, it may have been a good decision. But you actually lost 6% win probability on that decision. And the reason why is it's a 50-50 shot to make the two-point conversion, you got to figure, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you wait, if let's say it's the end of the game and you make one of those two-point conversions. Now, it's a 50-50 shot to win or lose. Okay. With 40 seconds left, it's not a 50-50 shot to win or lose because if you miss it, you lose. And mm -hmm. if you make it, the other team still has 40 seconds to come back and score a field goal on you, and they have a reason to be more aggressive, whereas if you just kick the extra point, the other team probably kneels on the ball and goes to overtime, but instead they have to be aggressive. And that's exactly what happened in this case is the Vikings came back and scored. So actually going for two in the win only makes sense if there's no time left in the game. I Yeah, I completely understand that. It just felt in the sequence of the game. Uh, obviously, you know, this isn't numbers dependent or anything, but – the Lions got gifted that uh, that Madison fumble. It almost looked like it came out of the like it came at the uh, like the fullback from Minnesota actually popped it out because he was trying to drive him forward. It looked like he kind of pried his arm loose that jarred the ball open. So they kind of got gifted that. I think if it did go to OT, Minnesota kind of had that one in the bag. Detroit couldn't get the offense going all game. So I understand you know it doesn't shake out in win probability, but again I, I I'm just excited about the fact that this. Uh, this Detroit Lions team, you know, Dan Campbell especially, they've got some fight in them. And, again, playing these games as close as they do, something's going to shake out at some point. One of these is going to break their way. It has to. Yeah, I don't think that my over five wins is going to happen for this year, though. No, no, I don't think it will. But, you but know. They're setting up for us forward. to like them again next year, which I'm sick and tired of doing every preseason. So, yeah. <laughs> um, don't forget, please, to rate and review and subscribe to all the Football Outsider shows. If you're watching us now on whichever uh, platform you are watching us on, 
Uh, don't forget we're here at 1 o'clock Eastern every day talking football. Tomorrow will be Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen with the Fantasy Show talking about your waiver wire picks and preparing you for week six. But here we are, me and Kale Clinton still reviewing week five. Let's talk about the best coaching decisions as far as win probability. Uh, number five, I, I can't believe we're talking about this coach in a positive way, but Urban Meyer going for it, trailing 14 to six with 10 minutes left, fourth and one on the Tennessee one, not kicking that field goal. Win probability added 4.8%. The decision was good. I still think, you know, even in Urban Meyer's good moments, there's something bad sorry, going second on. second quarter with 10 minutes left that he went for it, yes. Yeah, even, even in Urban Meyer's quote-unquote highlights, there's, you know, some bad side to it. I'm still surprised by the play call, not going for some form of QB sneak there. Urban Meyer, after the game, said it was because of, uh, you know, a level of comfort they hadn't played it with Trevor Lawrence. And then Trevor Lawrence in his own press conference said, no, I actually am comfortable with that. We can run it anytime we want. So, you know, even in the best moments for Urban Meyer's Jaguars, they continue to not be on the same page. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence is a tall, big dude. Like, he should be able to sneak. Yeah, and he, exactly. And he thinks he can sneak, so he should be able to sneak. Yeah. Um, here's the number four decision, and here's a coach who we often talk about negatively when it comes to fourth down decisions, but he was very aggressive this week, and that's Kyle Shanahan. 7.53 left in the game, fourth and four, Arizona 48. Instead of punting, trailing 10 to seven, Kyle Shanahan goes for it. Win probability added 5.3%. It's nice to see Kyle Shanahan being aggressive. Yeah, finally shaking out well for once. You know, it's you know, it, it is surprising watching him, you know, kind of punt in these situations. I'm glad it's starting to uh, go the other way. Uh, number three decision, Urban Meyer again, 1029 left in the game on the Tennessee goal line. Urban Meyer goes for it, trailing 31 to 19. Win probability added 5.7%. Good for you, Urban Meyer, even if you've completely lost your locker room. Uh, the number two coaching decision, Kevin Stefanski. This was, I mean, battle of the analytic coaches. 57 seconds left in quarter two, fourth and one on the Chargers three, trailing 13 to 10. Stefanski went for it. 6.6% win probability added. And uh, we'll get to uh, talking about the Browns and Chargers in a little bit. Number one decision of the week, Kyle Shanahan again. 9.23 left in the game, fourth and one on the Arizona 48, trailing 10 to 7. Could have punted, but no, Shanahan went for it. Win probability added 9.2%. When the game's that close, especially a, a low-scoring game with an offense like Arizona's, you've, you've got to make those decisions. You've got to be able to actually be aggressive and, you know, fight for those wins. Like we always say, in the modern NFL, with as much offense as there is in today's NFL – Possession matters more than field position. I will point out, we but we were talking about this before the show. Neither of us got to watch much of this game. Uh, so we don't have uh, any deep thoughts for you about Trey Lance and how he looked. But I will point out that for both Arizona and San Francisco, this was their first negative DVOA offense game of the year. Both Arizona and San Francisco are in our top 10. The entire NFC West is in the top 10, although that will not last, thanks to Geno Smith. 
Uh, Arizona is number three overall in DVOA. And what's most impressive to me is that defense, despite the secondary that had so many questions coming into the season, has been phenomenal. They are number four. J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones are just rocking it. And I'm I'm so surprised by how good the Arizona defense has been. Yeah, I mean, this is also – it's nice to see Arizona win a game where this is the first time this season where they didn't score 30-plus points in a game. So it is actually really nice to see them kind of get a low-scoring defensive win under their belts and actually, you know, prove somewhat that this is a well-rounded team that isn't just leaning all on their high-flying offense. It's only five games, but yes. so far eighth in offense – fourth on defense, third on special teams. That is a well-rounded team. I, I would have never anticipated this team being a top-five defensive DVOA team headed into the season. No, not at all. Um, again, want to remind everybody, watch the live stream over Twitter, uh, YouTube, Twitch, etc. You can ask us questions on the live stream. That's why you want to be here live 1 o'clock Eastern every day. And we'll take questions about week five as whoever wants to ask. But first, let's talk about the worst coaching decisions of the week. Here we go. Starting with a couple of coaches uh, in a Thursday night game that uh, usually make they make our bad coaching decisions list a lot. Uh, Pete Carroll punting at the start of the game when it was 0-0. Fourth and three on the Rams, 43 Win probability lost 4.3% is our number five worst decision of the week. And then our number four worst decision of the week is Sean McVay punting at the end of the game with 217 left, fourth and eight on his own 36, leading 23 to 17. Win probability lost 4.5%. I know that that is counterintuitive, but... The fact is, your chances of converting that, if you convert that for a first down, the game is over. And if you give the ball back to Seattle, even if they score a touchdown to go ahead, you likely have enough time to come back with the field goals. I don't remember how many timeouts there were at the time, but, uh, you know, I understand it's a counterintuitive thing as far as the numbers go. And I'm not going to criticize him too much for punting on fourth and eight in his own side of the field but it did lose win probability. Uh, do you have any thoughts about Thursday night watching Seahawks versus Rams? It, it feels like a blur, you know, after such a long weekend of action. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, Pete Carroll, especially that punt, I thought, I, like you said, I, I don't think you can fault uh, Los Angeles too much for punting in that position, especially when it's a fourth and eight that long. But I mean, have a little bit more fight in you, Pete. Fourth and three on the 43, on the opposing 43, go for it. Yeah. Don't punt. Um, number three, uh, worst decision of the week we already covered is the two point conversion by Dan Campbell, 5.9% win probability lost. Number two, we already covered with Packers Bengals, and that was the decision to have Evan McPherson try a 57-yard field goal, fourth and two on the Green Bay 39 with 26 seconds left when that is a tough field goal, and the better proposition would have been to try to get the fourth and two and then get a closer field goal. 
Number one, and this is kind of mind blowing. And I, I, you know, we love Kevin Stefanski and Brandon Staley. And I understand why I believe somebody already called Frank Frigo crazy for writing about this in risky business on football outsiders. Fourth quarter, two minutes and 12 seconds left, fourth and six, Cleveland on their own 18, only leading by one point. Believe it or not, that punt was an 18% win probability loss. And I know that sounds crazy, but if you convert the fourth and six, the game is pretty much over at that point, I believe. Uh, the Chargers possibly get the ball back with like 10 or 12, 10 or 15 seconds. Uh, whereas if you punt, you put them in a position where they get the ball back needing only a field goal to take the lead. And in fact, what happened was they scored a touchdown. But again, you know, it's going to take like we've really gone a lot from where we were 20 years ago when it comes to fourth and one and even fourth and two in the NFL. But for teams to be willing to go for it on fourth and long on their own end of the field, no matter what the win probability says, they it's going to take a lot more uh, development of analytics, I think. Yeah, and it you know it did look like it was a very it was a game that almost looked ahead of its time and just how much just how aggressive both of these teams were in going forward on fourth down and really pushing the field. But I mean, you saw it come down to time at the end of the game. The Browns, you know had their timeouts, if they end up going for it and missing that, you know, they've gotten extra, that last uh, touchdown drive by L.A., which, by the way, even after the punt, they took over the ball on Cleveland's side of the 50-yard line. Yes. So they really didn't have that much farther to march down. If they, if the uh, Browns go for it and miss, they actually have more time on the clock to go. Uh, they don't, Browns don't have to burn all of their timeouts. They don't have to push Austin Eckler into the end zone. Uh, they've got more time to play with, and you know maybe they've got an extra chance to actually, you know, drive down and score and put this one away. I don't know what to do with the Chargers because my system doesn't think they're great, and everyone thinks they're great. Uh, in fact, most of the advanced analytics systems don't think they're great. Before this game, like I don't know about the updated, but before this game, ESPN's FPI only had them 10th. Athletics DPR only had them 16th. DVOA had them 14th. This game moves them up to 11th. But the fact is, this is a team that other than the Raiders win, has played all close games, including their loss to the Cowboys. And advanced play-by-play -play metrics are just not completely convinced, even though people are talking about the Chargers like they're a great, great team. And also, their defense is not good. Their defense is not good. They let Cleveland score 42 points on them. And I realize a lot of that is just their run defense is not good, and I'd rather have bad run defense than pass defense. But even their pass defense fell to 11th this week. Their run defense is 31st. I don't know. What do you think about the Chargers? Do you think they're as as super top Super Bowl contenders like everybody feels? Are you more in line with the advanced analytics that have them lower? Listen, I, I I've been a bit of a Justin Herbert darling since his uh, his premiere against Kansas City in Week Two last year. Uh, following him a little bit, I declared myself a Justin Herbert guy. Uh, so you know, I'm a I'm a you know big fan. Of his hopped on the Herbert train early, but yeah, this is. 
it feels on the defensive side of the ball, especially this feels like a top heavy defense. It's Derwin James is doing, you know, incredible things. He's playing out of his mind. It's really great to see. Oh, if they healthy. lose either, Bo- if they lost either Bosa or James to an injury, oh, yeah, bad. Oh, it's real bad. And, and you know, I think Sante Samuel Jr. has been really impressive early. I think they've gotten a lot out of him, especially as a rookie. But yeah, it feels it feels like it's a defense led by its top players. And beyond that, they need to add more depth. They need you know just a more well rounded defensive roster yeah i mean i know people feel like this is a top offense dvoa does not has them seventh that's a pretty good offense but not in the same place that tampa bay is not in the same place that the chiefs are not in the same place that the rams are um and the other advanced analytics metrics have the same thing uh, yeah, but yet, I, when you watch them, I mean, the eye test disagrees. The eye test, you're just like, this offense can't be stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and it's – I think we've also compared – Tampa Bay and L.A. have insanely deep uh, skill position players. They, you know, they, they've got five, six guys that they can turn to. And on the Chiefs side of the ball, they've got, you know, Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, who are each some of the top players, if not the top players of their position. So it's – completely skewed that way. LA is really relying on her on Herbert to get it done, which, you know, he has been granted, uh, but it's, it's Eckler in the backfield, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, they've got in, in their tight end game. They're, they're working with uh, cook and Parham who are good, but they're not like, you don't have to like prepare for them. Super yeah, no, respectable, respectable players, but it's, it's, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, it's, I don't think they're getting, it's again, it's like, Jalen Guyton's the third receiver on that team. It's yes. Yeah. The you, you gotta worry about their top guys. Deeper casts. Yeah, you've got to worry about their top guys. And then once you get past that, it's it's an average offense. It's a fine offense. Uh before we preview Monday night football, you and I, being Patriots fans, should talk a little bit about the Patriots and Texans. Which side do you come out on? Hey, isn't it great that they had a comeback win? Or wow, was the defense lousy, and that was a moral loss, right? If the if the game against Tom Brady was a moral victory, uh, this was a a moral loss. Uh, honestly, definitely on the more moral loss side. The fact that this Me was too. this was the fact that this was nearly the Davis Mills coming out party. And Unbelievable. I I maybe they maybe they Belichick and the Patriots defense really laid it all out there for the Tampa Bay game, and they thought this one would just fall into their laps and shake out the way they wanted to. And I, I try not to get too hyperbolic when writing any given Sunday, but sometimes I become a uh, – not any given Sunday, uh, audibles at the line. Sometimes I do become a victim of the moment. I said that this might have been Mac Jones's worst game as a Patriot because I think during the Saints game, I don't think – those to see, there were uh, more was, almost interceptions, dropped interceptions, bad oh, throws. Than a I lot think of missed opportunities, and yeah. even the balls, even the balls that he did complete, he really wasn't leading his receivers at all. If the Texans yeah. won, if the Texans defense didn't leave the entire middle of the field open for the Patriots to just pick apart all day, I don't think the Patriots are even in a position to come back. Two, the Texans had. You know, in terms of special te- – I'd love to see the special teams DVOA numbers for the Texans coming out of this week because uh, Kai Fairburn missing multiple extra Minus points. Minus 24%. Field. 
Yeah, missing multiple extra points and that field goal. And also that weird decision by Dan Cully to run the punter under center, drop back and pooch punt it into his lineman's own helmet. Well, it was probably not a decision to pooch punch it into his lineman's own helmet. That was probably <laughs> an accident. I don't think that was the game plan, but the weird setup was the thing that caused it. If he punts that right, it you know he's got all the time he, he's got all the room he wants to clear that ball. But punting it left, I think it was because he started running back and then catching the ball, and it was just how his positioning ended up. But that you know that gives the Patriots the ball, the Texans. 35-yard line, I think it was. That was – the Texans did everything in their power to hand that game back to the Patriots. I don't really – you know, in the win column, I charted it as a win, obviously. But that was not a – that was not a victory for the Patriots. I came away from it feeling like my pick of them to make the playoffs is not going to happen. They're just not – they're just not good enough because even with their schedule getting easy with the AFC South playing so badly, I think you have to chalk up – Probably a loss to Dallas this week. Mm-hmm. And then very probably they lose to Buffalo twice. New England and at is that new. point, that's six losses. All they have to do is lose one more game to be 10 and seven and probably miss the playoffs, lose two more games to be nine and eight and pretty definitely miss the playoffs. Like even if they sweep the AFC South, which I think they, they can definitely do because the AFC South is awful. Like, and beat the Jets again and beat Miami in their rematch. And it's just, it's not going to happen. I mean, New England is really leaning on Bill Belichick's, uh, you know, win percentage against rookie quarterbacks because they have yet to beat a veteran. Yeah. All right. Uh, reminder, please, to check out content on Football Outsiders, folks. Uh, risky business, talking about the Chargers' decision not to kneel at the end of the game. And the Browns' decision to punt late in the game is up at Football Outsiders' uh, walkthrough by Mike Tanier, where he goes through all the AFC playoff teams and tries to figure out who on earth is going to win the third wild card, which might be the Patriots, but I don't think so. Uh, I think at this point, I think it's more likely to be the Bengals. Um, Audible's at the line, of course, with all of our thoughts about week five. Uh, Check out the top fives on edgesports.com. And uh, before we go, let's talk about Monday Night Football. It's the Colts and the Ravens, sort of a rivalry, kind of, because of the Baltimore Colts. Although, Mike, it's been a long time that the Ravens have been in Baltimore. So uh, Ravens are currently at minus seven. Edge Sports Fair Value is at minus seven. The Football Outsiders pick is the Ravens, minus seven. Edge also has it going under 46.5, but only 58% of the time. So that's not the greatest bet in the world. Uh do you have any thoughts personally about the Ravens and the Colts this evening? Uh, I think the team with the most to lose in this game isn't even playing. Uh, somewhere I saw online, if the season ended today, the Philadelphia Eagles would have three top 10 picks in the first round. And yes. I, I think if if Indy loses this game, they fall to one and four. And even though the AFC South is a feels wide open, despite every team refusing to win games, uh, you know, it probably shakes out that Indianapolis might start punting on the season. Uh, the they have to start thinking about not playing Carson Wentz, so they keep their first round pick. Exactly, exactly. I think Indy has to win this game to even hope to hold on to this and have Carson. And you know, the Eagles want Indy to win this game because Carson Wentz has to hit that uh seventy five percent of snaps mark for 
that pick to translate into a first for the Eagles. Right. So the Eagles have to root for the Colts to be good enough to keep playing Wentz, but bad enough that they get a really good pick out of it. Exactly. Like they're it's really a, like towing a fine line here. It's a tightrope act for sure. Um, the Ravens are seventh in DVOA. The Colts are 25th. The Ravens are better in all three phases of the game so far this year. I went looking for Ravens weaknesses. They're only 26th against running backs in the passing game. So I thought maybe it's a big Naheem Hines night for the Colts. They're only 30th against passes up the middle. But the Colts offense ranks 30th against uh, on passes up the middle, 5.2 yards per attempt. So it's not like they're going to take advantage of that weakness. Baltimore is only 27th passing in the red zone. But that's the kind of thing that tends to regress towards the mean. And they're number one running in the red zone. Mm -hmm. And even though they're 27th passing in the red zone, among the five teams that are worst passing in the red zone, you will find the Indianapolis Colts, who are 29th. So, like, everything, I mean, you know, any given Sunday and all that, but everything points to Baltimore stomping in this game. Yeah, exactly. I don't uh, – I'm, pr I'm pretty, you know, on the – on Baltimore side in this one. I don't You're know. on the Baltimore Stomparama bandwagon. Baltimore exactly. minus seven. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you for tuning in, folks. Thank you for listening to us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching us on your favorite uh, platform. Remember, we are live streaming every weekday, 1 p.m. Eastern, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook live. Uh, tomorrow, again, Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen will be here to talk about your fantasy football team for week six. Everything is available after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, so please check it out. And if you don't get to watch us live, listen in your car or uh, listen while you're working out, although you want to do it live because you can ask us questions. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite platform. Thank you, Cale Clinton, for joining us today. Happy I got to fill in. And Ian O'Connor should be back next week. I am Aaron Schatz. I will see you again on Wednesday. Everybody enjoy Monday Night Football tonight. So long.